that's a special song in light of where we're headed in Romans 7. So let's go there. And let's remember the theme that's written in your Sunday folder for this morning's sermon. If we're saved by grace, we must be grown by grace. Saved by grace, grown by grace. And even when we falter, just like the song they just sung, even when we falter, it's not the law that grows us, it's grace that grows us. Let's not forget that, especially those of you who are ages 15 to 35 this morning, maybe 40, that maybe grew up as a second or third, maybe even fourth generation Christian. Remember the theme for our sermon this morning, saved by grace, grown by grace. You cannot be saved by grace and grown by law. Okay, can you remember that? We stated it positively, then we'll state it negatively. Saved by grace, grown by grace. You cannot be saved by grace and grown by law. You can be saved by grace, but growth never comes through adherence to external standards of holiness, whether they're God-given or man-given. The law doesn't grow us. Remember, chapter 6 and 7 of the book of Romans is about spiritual growth. We've covered justification. The Lord's identified a, several groups of folks that are in need of Christ, which is comprehensively all men. In the first part of Romans, we looked at justification. We're now in sanctification, chapters 6 and 7. Chapter 6 teaches us that when we're born again, we're baptized into Christ, and we become dead to sin. Dead to sin. Chapter 7 teaches us that we're born again, baptized into Christ. We become dead to law. Go back in your own time. And uh, underline every time the word sin is used in chapter 6. And on your own time, underline every time the word law is used in chapter 7. It's pretty clear that grace, grace in Christ Jesus makes us dead to sin and dead to the law. Okay? Good works can't save us and good works cannot grow us. Now, we're down to the final section here in the book of Romans. If you'd like to catch up from where we were before we left uh, a couple weeks ago in chapter 7. You can go back and find those sermons uh, online on our website. I'd like to read this short section in chapter 7 at the end, uh, and then I'd like to break it apart for you and explain its parts, apply it, and let you go home and rest for the day. All right? Let's look together at Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual... But I am of flesh, soul, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, and one who wants to do good 
the one who wants to do good. Verse 22, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am. Right, that word wretched is um, a military term, really. It, it, it describes someone who's been in raw, bloody battle that's tired of fighting. It's an important word to remember when we go back and explain the greater immediate context here. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? And he answers it, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of of sin. So let's go back and let's break down these few verses, okay? Into really the third and final point of chapter 7, which was here are some precautions about the law in our lives. Some precautions about the law. I'll ask you to go back and find out what the other two sections were on your own time, but for sake of time this morning, this is the final section which we've titled Precautions About the Law, and let me give you several of those precautions and where they're identified verse by verse in this little section of the end of chapter 7. First of all, first precaution, the law has no power to mature you. The law has no power to mature you. We find that in verse 14. Secondly, the law cannot help us honor God. The law cannot help us honor God. That's verses 15 to 21a, the first part of verse 21. Right. The law can't mature us. It cannot help us honor God. Okay. Thirdly, the law cannot provide freedom. The law cannot provide spiritual freedom for us. And that's the second part of verse 21 through verse 25. It cannot provide spiritual freedom. So let's go back up here to verse 14. The law has no power to mature you. Remember, as we said earlier, we're saved by grace, so we must be grown by the same. Grown by grace. It says here in verse 14, for we know that the law is what? What's the word? We know it's spiritual. Well, then why can't the law grow us? if it's described here as spiritual. Right? Well, God points us out to this description of the law because the law is not designed to sanctify us after we've received saving grace. The law is spiritual because it's designed to point out our need for saving grace. The law of God is God's word, isn't it? It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Even the first five books of the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, under which Judaism lived, right, there's still principally things that we can learn because it's all still God's word, but its primary design is spiritual because it does something spiritual in our hearts before we're born again, and it points out to us our need to be born again. Good works can't save us. Only the grace of God can save us. And all the law does for us is point out for us, again, our inability to perfectly keep it. 
So that's the spiritual work, and Paul says that here. For we know the law is spiritual. All of us that know Christ have realized its spiritual influence on our lives because we realize our imperfection. When you compare our lives even to the Decalogue, one portion of the Mosaic Code, all of us fall short even in the Ten Commandments, don't we? Anyone old enough to be in this auditorium this morning that says they've never lied, you're a liar. <laughs> right? So you just broke the law. If you didn't think you had before, you just did. That's like 1 John 1. Anyone that says he's without sin is a liar. We're all lawbreakers, but that's the spiritual thing the law does for us. It points out our imperfections. It can't save us and it cannot grow us, but the spiritual aspect of it is exactly that. It's also called holy and just and good in the context that we've already taught on in previous weeks. Each time the law is described with these terms, it is described in terms of its influence of conviction on us before we are saved. Why is it considered holy in the context here? Because it shows God's perfect requirements as compared to our perf perf imperfections. Why is it called just in this context? It's because the law is completely equitable and fair. Because the law is from God, it cannot unethically overreach its divine boundaries of the spiritual expectation. It's called good here. It demonstrates the infinite perfection of God and his perfect love towards us. And only Jesus was the good and perfect law keeper. That's why we must look to him as the sinless son of God. Because he's good. And he's called good in one aspect because he was the perfect keeper of God's expectations, his law. And only he could be the lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the whole world. Hold your finger in Romans 7. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Let's go back to the final book of the law. And let's look at a portion of the re-giving of the law as Moses gave it to the Israelites here. Deuteronomy chapter 10, and I think this is a good reminder for us about the nature of the law and its spiritual purpose. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 10, and let's look at verses 12 uh, to 16 together. Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 to 16. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to what? To love them. And he chose their descendants after them to do the same, even you above all peoples, as it is this day. But here's the key. He showed his love by showing his expectation. What was his expectation? Keep my commandments. Could they do that perfectly? No. But this is love. Then he gives them an opportunity to look at verse 16. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great and mighty and awesome God who does not show what? 
partiality nor take a bribe. God is impartial when it comes. He's impartial, period. It's one of his attributes of his goodness. But he's impartial when it comes to salvation. What does that mean? Every man, regardless of race or creed or tongue or tribe, must come to God the same way. It's by grace through having a circumcised heart, a heart that's born again or made new, taken from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Those are all Old Testament synonymous descriptions of a heart that's born again. God gives us the law, the expectation to obey it, to show us that we could not keep it, to draw us to our point, to turn from ourselves and place our, 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 our hearts, really, into the sufficiency of who Jesus Christ is. So we could say here that this law is certainly a law of love, not just a spiritual good or just or holy law. So the law simply cannot mature us. All it can simply do by its brief description here is highlight our inadequacies. Secondly, verses 15 to 21, in the first part of verse, of verse 21, the law cannot help us honor God. The language here as the Apostle Paul continues to go through this small context gets more and more graphic and really more and more conflicting Paul's using statements here that probably when you read them as a believer, you're a little bit uncomfortable. Here's apostolic authority and the influence of the Holy Spirit that's saying, I want to do good, but I'm not doing it. I'm, I've got this battle in my soul that all of us experience from time to time, but the way he explains it here makes it sound like this is a pattern of his life. I want to encourage you folks that this is not a pattern of Paul's life. We already highlighted reasons for that in chapter six and in chapter eight that we get into next Sunday morning. But there were times when Paul battled extensively with his old sin nature. And we're going to conclude this morning what causes those intense battles with the old sin nature from time to time in our lives. You have to remember, folks, Paul wasn't writing to a Roman church that was spiritually in trouble. They were strong, remember? 16 chapters, he doesn't lay one indictment upon these people. This is a strong people. As a matter of fact, the only indictment Paul levels against anyone in this whole book is against himself, and it's right here. And he's trying to tell them by way of his own personal testimony that which could be their potential weakness if they're not careful. Christians who are healthy, be careful. You stop growing when you try to grow yourself by adherence to external standards of God's law. You're not grown by the law, you're grown by grace. And what Paul's saying here is every time in my Christian life, even as one of God's apostles, and authors of scripture under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Every time I find my life moving away from a genuine sweet walk with Christ by grace, my tendency is to start growing myself by law and, hang on with me here, evaluate every other saint's growth by the same law. When you evaluate your own growth by law or mere human standards or you attempt to evaluate somebody else's spiritual growth or take their pulse by law, you're gonna become an increasingly wicked person. 
You say, how can you do that? How can you say that when, when Paul says the law here is spiritual and holy and good and just? Right? Because we already saw its purpose. Its purpose is to point us to grace to be saved, but after we're saved, its purpose is not to grow us. And even the most mature of believers, testimony here by the Apostle Paul, the most mature of believers, when they seek to govern their own growth or evaluate their own growth or the growth of another believer by mere standards, we can become the most wicked of examples. We're gonna highlight a number of different ways in my own life where I sought to evaluate my own life by law and, the law, and, and evaluate others' law by law, how that, that, that engendered darkness in me. And that's what Paul's saying here. This conflict that he's speaking of is a personal testimony of how he struggled with his own sin nature when he sought to grow himself and others by mere Judaistic standard. It's scary, right? It's scary. It doesn't define the whole of our Christian example, but at times if we walk away from a genuine intimate walk with Jesus Christ by grace, right, this is what we become. We become the harshest and the most carnal of believers. So, it cannot help us honor God. As a believer, the more he attempts to grow in Christ's likeness, the more he will be governed by grace to do right things under the law of Christ. As we discussed last time, not the law of Moses. It is a clear and evident paradox in the context that cannot be ignored, and that is, and, that, and, and this is why Paul places so much detail before us about his own struggle. He's saved by grace, but he is trying to grow by the law at times, and only sin dominates his life when he attempts to grow by the law. Right here in the margin of your Bible, if you believe in writing in your Bibles, Acts chapter seven and eight. Before Paul's conversion, when he's living by the law, what kind of affliction did he bring upon the church? Right. I know we're stepping back into his life dominated by law before he's born again, but he was a pretty mean guy, wasn't he? Ravaging, tearing the church apart. Acts chapter 7 is a pretty clear example of what happened to Stephen who's murdered, who's stoned by religious Judaizers under, who are under the authority of the apostle Paul, then Saul. When you're living by law, you are a murderous, evil, dark, harsh individual. You can't help yourself but be that way. People who live by the law are just mean people. You're mean people. I'm gonna tell you some of my own failures in my own life, as I said in a few minutes. Saved by grace, but grown by grace. Any system of laws established by God or man, by common grace, by their nature, cannot save or change man. They're necessary to point out our flaws, they're necessary to govern, typically, right? Even human law, given by man by common grace, is given for protection, but really it's to do what? It's to punish evil 
and to protect. They're ministers unto unto us for good, Romans 13 says, of, of human law. But by nature, law is not intended to grow us, God's law or man's law. Our dispositions change when we live our lives by law towards ourselves and towards others. If you seek to govern yourself by mere external means and laws, you will struggle in your walk with God. You will doubt your salvation. You will fall and not be able to get up. And you will not be able to help others who have stumbled do the same. I can remember when I was assistant director at a camp, Christian camp here in Ohio. Um, We would go down about a day early and we would go through the camp rule book. Nothing wrong with that. Camp, a school, country, and institutions got to have governing guidelines. So we would rehearse what we needed to enforce during the week. And I was the assistant director. Let me tell you what assistant directors do at Christian camps. They do all the dirty work the director doesn't want to do, right? So we were the enforcers of the camp rule book. That's okay. That's what I was, I guess, my job. But if you're going to merely govern kids by the rule book, you're not going to have a tendency to be patient with them and grow them by grace. So I can remember sitting in the golf cart, pontificating with the guest speaker for that week, and I heard uh, a student at the camp break a cardinal rule at the camp. I mean, students were never, we told the kids this over and over and over, you never go into the snack shop, get on the loudspeaker, and tell jokes, or goof off, because the sound system went over the whole camp, all 350 acres, right? So, they were in the snack shop, and you tell a kid not to do something, what are they going to do? Just like we described with all of us, right, a couple weeks ago, don't touch the wet paint bunch, what are you going to do? Well, it's got to be dry by now, I'm going to touch it, right? It's just part of our nature to break law. Kid got on there, he's laughing and giggling. You could tell there's a crowd of kids around him laughing and giggling. You know, we're about to break this big rule, but they got a really funny joke to tell. I have to admit, it was a really good joke. (laughs) But, But I can remember just being immediately infuriated in my heart that this kid stepped out of line. Hang on with me here, right? This is a self indictment. I can remember saying, oh, man, who is that? Right? And I, I grabbed the key, I turned the key onto the golf cart, and, uh, you know, I was just viciously moving, and the, and the guest speaker grabbed my arm. He said, chill out. It's just a kid on a microphone. I said, he's breaking a rule. He goes, yeah, it's just a kid on a microphone. He broke a rule. What's the purpose for the rule? To indict him or to help him? I got angry at the guest speaker. (laughs) Right? That's like the cardinal rule number three. Don't touch the sound system. It was very convicting to me. If I would have not had that guest speaker... I may have lost a ministry with that student, not just for that week, for the rest of his life. And the whole peanut gallery around him who was urging him on to do it. Right? But you still have to address it, right? But when you're grown by grace, you don't appeal to them by law. You appeal to them with grace. In a gracious way. Right? 
Doing the right thing the wrong way is still wrong. But a lot of times we demonstrate through our harshness that we have not been walking with God. Because when you walk with God, you are governed by the Spirit of God. And what, is, what does it look like to be governed by the Spirit of God? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, self-control. But they broke the law! Doesn't matter. You can't do the right thing the wrong way. Because it's still wrong. It's still wrong. In my own home, with my own children, all of them have seen me at my darkest moment, to my shame. To my shame. Maybe some of you parents have had some of those experiences when your kids didn't do the right thing or they were acting the wrong way. They didn't meet up to the expectations of law and standard. Isn't it crazy how you can go from here to looking up at the bottom of the barrel in your disposition in a nanosecond? Right? If you step back and look at the big picture, I don't think I'm going through Romans 7 in my mind at that moment of, of descending. Right? But actually, what am I doing? I'm seeking to grow my children by pointing out they messed up. Right? With a sinful disposition. Think about it. If I was walking with the Lord and governed with this by the Spirit at that moment, I'm not saying you're going to bat a thousand with this stuff, all right? But if I'm walking with God and governed by the Spirit, I still address the wrong, but with what kind of disposition? Many, many times I've had to go back and ask my children for their forgiveness because I did the right thing the wrong way. And then you step back and it haunts you as a parent. And then it haunts you as a pastor because I even blew it when I was a youth pastor here for 15 years on multiple occasions. I can remember one time some of the folks that had been here forever, well, not forever, but for more than two decades, I can remember when we had prayer meeting over in, this, in the auditorium back here, which is now our fellowship hall, and there was those old brown curtains separated us in the youth room, right? I can remember... I won't name their names because a couple of them are here in church this morning. They were in my youth group. And they were, they were just irritating the fire out of me. They wouldn't obey. And they were deacon's kids. Right? It's like, man, I got guests here. I got newly saved kids here. And they won't stop talking. They won't stop being a disruption. And I got so angry. I left the front of the room. I went over. I don't know if you guys remember this. I opened up the curtain and interrupted adult Sunday school and I called their parents out of the auditorium I said you need to come tend to your kids <gasps> I know I know I know don't leave the church I'm not like that anymore I don't think yeah. I'm just pointing out to you how raw and ungodly I could be even as a pastor but that rawness and that ungodliness my friends comes when you're seeking to grow people by the law by the rules by the standards I was evaluating their spiritual growth of those kids in a time frame of about five minutes. Did that five minutes really define the spiritual integrity or lack thereof of those kids? No. But they were lawbreakers. What lawbreakers? Lawbreakers of my classroom. You don't do that and get away with it, 
right? You know. But what's the purpose for the law? Right? To point out their error, to then have the opportunity to grow them in Christ. I'll guarantee you, when I busted through that curtain, I had no intention to grow anyone <laughs> in Christ like this. Nobody, right? That takes about three hours for your blood pressure to come down, where you can think clearly. How insane and immature of that was me, of me, regardless whether at camp or at home or at church. I went to a Christian school that I very much appreciate and learned so much there in my walk with Christ. But I can remember one time I was in a wrong part of the school and uh, I, had this, I had this joy. I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember, they even still sell them. Remember those paper rolls of caps? Red paper rolls of caps? And you remember you could get a whole row and, t- row and take a sledgehammer and hit it? And instead of just a little pack, it's a boom! You know, not boom, but you know, it was louder than normal. And then if you took a hammer big enough and you stacked about six of those rolls of caps together, right? So but you could make a real big kapow. Well, I wandered down to the gymnasium one day with Pastor Kent. <laughs> I'll throw him under the bus since he's not here today. And another guy that pastors in town, Pastor Mike Goldfuss. So we three future pastors went to an off-limits area without a hall pass, and we had a couple boxes of these caps. We were going to break the Guinness World Book of Records for caps blown up in one spontaneous moment. And we thought we would not, we thought we would go unheard. Yeah, stupid criminal tricks, right? So we went down there, had stashed the hammer, earlier that day in a place we knew it would be. We wanted to see what it would sound like in this gymnasium that didn't have the floor put down yet, just with concrete and tin, right? So we did it. We were chuckling, we were laughing, we are kind of creeping back to class, and there stood our 10th grade English teacher. Now you have to understand, at this point, I'm 6'5", right? Mike Goldfuss is 6'3", and Kent, Pastor Kent, I don't know, what's Pastor Kent, 6'2"-ish, maybe? Right? Somehow, just the look of this lady brought us to our knees. Right? <laughs> but I can remember, she came and she had the audacity. She was furious. She's angry in a hornet. She grabbed me by the arm. Right? She's hauling me down the hallway at 6'5", 210. Right? <laughs> right? And I, I can remember with her other hand, she had Pastor Kent by the ear. She grabbed and Kent. Right? She's hauling us down the hallway to the principal's office to our death. This was capital punishment looming in our future, right? She sat us down, right? She literally threw us down in the chair in the principal's office, and all the principal could start doing was laughing. (laughs) He just thought, he thought it was the funniest thing he'd seen in a long time, you know? And she got angry at the principal for laughing. And, uh, principal asked the teacher to leave the room. He goes, what in the world did you guys do? I said, all we did was blow off some caps. <laughs> you know? Well, he said, there's a few more things that you did that were wrong. But she was angry and hornet. God bless her soul. Um, teacher I respect immensely. She came to all three of us later, and she apologized for reacting in such anger. She said, you know, I was more concerned that you broke a rule than I was concerned for your soul. And would you forgive me? That, 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 um, Asking for our forgiveness changed my position and disposition on that lady for life. And to this day, we're still the best of friends, right? Because she knew that you could, you could be saved by grace, but you could not be grown by the law. 
and she blew it. And she knew that she was being governed by law there, which made her furious. So think about that. But that's what Paul's saying here. Paul is simply saying here that you cannot honor God when you're trying to live by the law. You can't do it. You can't do it. And that's his struggle here. Every time he tried to live by the law, even though he was born again, and even though an apostle, it, made, it, 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 it enticed this voracious battle inside his soul, and you folks have read it. Apostolic authority saying, I cannot succeed. But on your own time, go clear back to verse 14, the whole thing, and I want you to underline every time the personal pronoun I is used in the immediate context. It'll shock you. Over 20 some times in Romans 7, the Apostle Paul uses the personal pronoun I. And my friends, I think that's a great practical application for all of us as we seek to grow ourselves or somebody else by way of the law. You become completely self-centered. You cannot grow yourself in Christ's likeness by the law. You cannot grow others by the law. You become a completely self-centered fool governed by your flesh governed by your flesh trying to do the right thing though but the wrong way and by the way growing someone by the law with the right disposition which according to the context is absolutely impossible let's say you tried to do it you still can't do it because you can't grow someone by the law right you can't honor God you can't honor God. What does Peter say in 2 Peter 3.18? But grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Growth by grace engenders patience, love, and big picture evaluation of one's soul's growth according to the law of Christ, not merely the law. That's why you often hear me say, we may have 600 different looks in this congregation on any given Sunday, but what's most important? Are we all growing? You'll also hear us say, if you want to know what maturity is, look to our Maturity Matters group, if they are kind and humble, and ask them how their growth journey has looked since their salvation. Listen to them and how they describe their growth was by grace and not by law, and then watch and follow and mimic them. You've also heard us say over and over and over, consider Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 1, Ephesians 5, and 1 Corinthians 11, where he said, follow me only if I'm following Christ. He didn't say follow me only if I'm following the law. Follow me only if I'm following Christ. And of course, this is why any New Testament church that emphasizes disciple making, hang on with me here, not merely discipleship disciple-making, in their midst will enjoy a true understanding of God's grace among them. In a disciple-making church, saints understand more and more their own salvation and growth by grace, so we understand more and more what it means to reach out and grow others by the same means. We're later in the message, and you may have totally missed that last paragraph, but I had it in all caps in my notes, so I thought it was really important. in a disciple-making church, and I think we're realizing that. We've got a long way to go. 
When each of us is owning the Great Commission, more and more we begin to understand what it means to reach someone with Christ by grace, and then when we sit down to study the word with them, what? You're growing them by the same means. It's all by grace. It's all by grace. That's why that's so important. So as we conclude this morning, let's look at the final couple verses here, and uh, we'll let you go home in a timely fashion. The law cannot provide freedom. As a matter of fact, you've already written in the cross margin of your Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, 56, which teaches us that the strength of sin is the law. We've already seen in our own context, the law excites sin. It exacerbates sin. We cannot live by it and grow. Every time we seek to enforce external means to grow the heart, we will not know spiritual freedom. And again, I highlight out the first word of, the, uh, of verse 24. Paul declares himself as an individual who tried to grow himself by the law as a wretched man, a man tired of battling, a man tired of failing, a man tired of getting knocked down and not being able to get back up and walk by grace. He's tired of the war. Well, think about that in relationship to many of us that you know, maybe grew up in what I call passive legalism environments. I don't think Paul's talking about legalism here, by the way. By the way, he's not talking about legalism at all, for those of you that know your Bibles really well and have been saved for a long time. Romans 7 is not about legalism at all, so I would ask you to divorce that thought from your mind if you've had it. Legalism, by scriptural standards, is just simply teaching someone they can be saved through good works. That's biblical legalism. That's the battle that Paul's dealing with in the book of Galatians. This is talking about growing by grace, not being saved by the law. So this has nothing to do with legalism, but this is what I call passive legalism. When you seek to measure your own growth or somebody else's, else's growth by mere external standards given by God or by man, Paul struggles with passive legalism. And he says here, there's no freedom. There's no freedom. I'm tired of the battle. <laughs> I'm tired of the battle. I can't do it. I can't get my youth group to do it. I can't get my class to walk according to the rules. Right? I can't get my employees. I can't get my church. I can't get this. I, can't get, I just can't get them to live by the rules. So I must be a failure. I myself am trying to live by the rules, and the more I try to live by the rules, the more I find out how dark I am. I can't do it. I am a worn-out soldier. I've been fighting in the wrong battlefield. I'm tired. I'm done. I can't do it. And you know what? You can't. You can't. Our whole lives are about grace. Saved by grace and then grown by grace. And in that environment, there's spiritual freedom, right? There's freedom to grow as much as you can towards Christ's likeness, and that journey never ends until we see him face to face, according to 1 John 3, 1 to 3, right? Freedom comes in Jesus Christ. So he says, I'm wretched, I'm done, I'm tired. Who's gonna set me free from this whole body that's governed by death under this law thing? And there's the answer, what great relief. Grace. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, he's not talking about salvation there, my friends. Right. You could be back captivated again by this body of death when you try to govern yourself or others by the law. Okay. And it looks like there, it looks like that's a salvation statement. Only Jesus Christ can deliver me from the law, and he can. 
when we're in Christ, we're dead to sin and dead to the law, but the chapters are on growth. Only Jesus Christ can deliver me from this wretched state when I seek to grow myself or help someone else to grow. Only Jesus Christ. It's all by grace. Paul is saying the Christian that seeks to grow or to be grown by external means of law will only invite increased failure and agony to the point where they cannot stand up and literally walk with God. But grace compels us to walk. The law forces us to fall. Anything from the scripture that compels a walk with Christ is a means of grace. Anything that enforces a fall is of the law. It's still spiritual and good and holy and just, but remember its point and its place and its purpose. Paul comes to realize in this battle of trying to govern himself by law and others that in his flesh dwells not one good thing. One author said, because the believer is united in Christ, he is dead to the law and no longer under its authority, but he is alive to God and able to draw on the power of the Holy Spirit for growth in grace. Remember what we said about the Roman people here. They're not struggling with this yet, but Paul is. So praise God for Paul going out on a limb and being a little transparent here, right? Amen? Praise God first. Spiritual authority that's transparent. And Paul is a tremendous help to me and to so many others here. Second, let's remember these Christians in Rome are not struggling with what Paul's telling them, as we've already stated. He's merely describing his own testimony when he seeks to live his life by law and not grace. Thirdly, if you struggle in your walk with God, could it be because your struggle is self-inflicted because you measure your success by the law rather than by grace? So I have a struggle every day, Pastor Tim, consistently walking with God. Well, maybe you've forgotten that when you're born again and you're declared not made righteous, you're declared righteous, that when God looks at you, when you have a spiritual bad day, you think he doesn't love you as much. That's living by the law. And you think when you have a spiritually good day, you think he loves you more. And that's still wrong, and that's still living by the law. You're living by your success, and you're living according to your failure. But it's all by grace. Every day, Jesus doesn't love you more when you do good and doesn't love you less when you have a bad day. He loves you because you're in Christ. God loves his son in you. We grow, we're compelled to grow by that amazing thought which is birthed out of amazing grace. Amen? This is how we grow. This is how we shepherd our own souls. This is how we shepherd the souls of people in the body. Oh, man, I just had a horrible day yesterday, and that kind of continued over into this morning. I just have been a spiritual failure, and you're sitting down with them for discipleship, and you say, you know what? Isn't God good? What are you talking about? I just told you how bad a day I had. Day and a half. Isn't God good? Isn't it wonderful that, that God still loves you the same as he did two days ago? even though you've had a bad day and a half. Now let's just start with prayer tonight, and let's just start with thanksgiving. God still loves you, even though you've had a bad day and a half. But you don't understand how bad it was. You confess that to the Lord. But let's thank God for his mercy and his grace of who we are in Christ, and let's grow together. Let's grow. Let's grow. Anything that compels us to fall and not grow is law 
and not grace. Anything. Okay? All right, let's pray together. I think all of us can probably think about times in our lives where we're ridiculously frustrated with ourselves because of our own personal failure. But in that moment, we were comparing ourselves to the law and not to the immeasurable grace of God. Maybe there might be quite a few of us, including your pastor, that needs to write his heart with God, write our hearts with God in relationship to comparing ourselves to grace or comparing ourselves to law, but what about when we minister to others? Whatever the situation that you're in where you're struggling, I encourage you to look unto Jesus who is the author and the completer of your faith. And I encourage you to remember that he that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I encourage you by way of Philippians 3, forget those things that are behind and press forward unto the likeness of Jesus Christ. Strive by God's grace. Folks, if this is the reality for us personally and then collectively as a body, I assure you, this will increasingly become one of the most joyful, patient, loving, kind, meek, self-controlled congregations that we've ever experienced. Saved by grace, grown by grace. Father in heaven, we thank you for the simplicity of your word. We thank you for the transparency of the apostle Paul here in opening up his heart to us to warn us about the great affliction that can come to our lives when we seek to govern them by law or even evaluate them by law. May we always seek to to grow personally and then collectively together by grace. The big picture of evaluation of our lives that only grace can provide in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.